Are you overwhelmed by stress? Feeling a bit burned out? While a small amount of stress can be good, daily challenges can add up and push you beyond your ability to cope. So what can you do? Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue. Today, we're talking about effective stress management, and we're going to dive into some actionable tips to help you maintain a healthy lifestyle and navigate life's challenges with resilience and calm. Please welcome to the show, Knock AD, Command Operational Audiologist and Stress Resilience coach, Lieutenant Commander Kyle Shepard, sir. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's just begin. I want you to tell us a bit about yourself and why is stress management such an important topic to you? First of all, I love that intro. That was phenomenal. Very good way to start this off and kind of just summarizing where things can go. A little bit of stress is good, but it can lead to consequences that we're not aware of until they are here. So a little bit about me. I'm an operational audiologist. I've been in the Navy for 10 years. We actually talked three years ago when I first came to this command, and we talked about my job in NOC AD as an audiologist. And at that time and to this day, I'm extremely passionate about what I primarily do in uniform, audiology. I serve and try to prevent the number one injury in the military every year, which is noise-induced damage. And that is my primary function at this command. If there's anything I'm more passionate about than my job as an audiologist, it's stress management. And it goes back to my childhood. Everyone is impacted by stress. So 10% of the military is impacted by noise-induced damage. 100% of the military is at least impacted by stress. Now, how well they function with it, how well they recover from it, or how well it is perceived by others is quite variable. And that variance was something I became very interested in because people I love that are struggling with an issue, I became very interested in helping people at an early age, leading me to study psychology in undergrad, and then a dual major in speech and hearing science, which led me into audiology. But I still kept with me the lessons from psychology of how can we help others, particularly in the framework of stress? That led me to my first duty station, which was Camp Lejeune. And after getting settled in as an audiologist, I became interested in how can I serve the command? And I learned about the CGOS program or the Caregiver Occupational Stress Control Program, which was intended at helping everyone in the command or even outside of it through education manage stress. And while I was just a contributing member at the time, I got really involved at my next duty station, Naval Hospital Guam, where I became part of the leadership team and learned a lot more about coaching and educating on resilience, mental toughness, and stress management. All right, so before we dive into stress management, let's just get to the basics. What is stress? It's such an important question because I think a lot of us confuse what a stressor is versus what is stress. Stress is our response to a stressor. And while a lot can go into the symptoms of stress and our thoughts behind it, at a physiologic level, which I think is fascinating, stress is an automatic response in our body that we evolved from. We are the top of the food chain today and highly functional human beings that are not impacted by some of our original stressors because of stress. As our neocortex and prefrontal cortex evolved and grew three times larger than the brain that we used to have, we now have our prefrontal cortex that can rationally think. But we still, at our core brain, have physiology that will take over our entire brain when we are stressed. So recovering, once again, from emotional physiologic responses to stress is imperative, or else our emotional brain will cover up our rational thinking, and we will not recover. We will be dysfunctioned by stress. 
So as you mentioned, we, we all are experiencing stress every single day, pretty much in every moment, right? And there's that automatic response. But how do you look at stress and identify the signs of stress or maybe the good stresses versus the bad? Identification is such a key word that you said. So awareness that you are stressed is imperative or else strategies, you can't use strategies if you don't know you're stressed. So awareness is imperative and that is quite variable between people. For example, some people get butterflies or nausea and that at a physiologic level is because blood is rushing away from your stomach to support your brain and muscles in response to a stressor, but maybe you feel that more. Some people get chest tightness or feel their heart palpitating faster because physiologically that happens in response to stress. Everyone has subjective symptoms that they either can notice inside themselves or notice in loved ones when you're trying to help others respond to stress and getting to know yourself through what we'll talk about today, a great scale like the stress continuum, or just thinking about what are my telltale early signs of that I'm responding and stressed, and then how can I then think about intervening? So would you say there are certain factors that can make us more vulnerable to stress? Absolutely. Experience is a big one. If you have never experienced stress in a certain capacity from a certain stressor, it's gonna feel much more significant. I love the phrase, the worst thing that has happened to someone is the worst thing that has happened to someone. Because as a child, I would watch family members or friends respond very significantly to a stressor that maybe I perceived as not that significant. Or vice versa, I would see something extremely terrible happen to someone, then they respond quite well. And that can be for a variety of reasons, but again, becomes unique to the individual based on where they are in life, the experience that they've had, and how much self-awareness that they have for how well they're functioning from a resilient standpoint. I know for me, it's kind of stress depends on how many things are hitting me at once as well. So let's talk a little bit about chronic stress. How does chronic stress impact us both physically and mentally? And then how can that lead to burnout, depression, or possibly other mental health issues? So chronic stress, or as you mentioned before, number of stressors hitting you simultaneously can all influence a stress response. Again, physiologically, it's the same, but duration of that stress response occurring or significance, so duration would be you're not recovering. Significance could be a very significant stressor, like perceived threat to your life, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job. It could be a variety of things. Chronic stress, wear and tear, burnout, would be the inability to recover from stress. That can come from one lack of awareness that you are experiencing it. If I were to hold a water bottle throughout this conversation, that is a physical stressor on my arm. I could do that throughout this conversation because I'm in decent shape. If you were to tell me to do that for a month, I'm not gonna be able to hold that 12 ounce water bottle. My arm is gonna eventually give out because of wear and tear, my lack of ability to support myself in that stressor. I could change the technique and that I'm holding it. I could use two hands. I could ask you to hold it every once in a while for me too. There's a lot of ways that I could resolve that stressor and recover from it. But how we attack our stress first depends on awareness of it. And I've become such a big believer in being able to recover from it. Even temporarily before you go back into responding to it, these recovery periods are what can really help prevent burnout. Because burnout is on a continuum. Someone does not burn out as soon as they experience a stressor or experience stress. It happens over time. And then lack of intervention is what leads to decreased function and maybe potentially mental illness when you do not recover or improve at all from there. 
So I want to dive a bit deeper into that thought. How does stress management or good stress management help us prevent burnout and really improve work productivity or productivity in general? So the stress continuum is a tool that I'm sure we'll talk about in a variety of ways today. So the stress continuum was created by the Navy and Marine Corps in 2007 in response to a Department of Defense tasker on mental health, which was established in 2006 in response to the war on terrorism and the noticed decreases in function, work productivity, and high levels of burnout for our warfighters, our military members at home, and then their families as well. So this became an urgent problem And then this fantastic tool was created by the Navy Marine Corps, which to this day, I think is one of the best tools when it comes to self-awareness of stress, its impacts, but also understanding the continuum and how it can lead to burnout. The stress continuum is a scale that breaks our stress response into four different categories. Green means good to go. Yellow means reacting. Every day, we should experience some form of stress. And whether that is intentional, known situations, or of course, inevitably, unintentionally, you're gonna experience stress every day in one way, shape, or form. Recovering from it, going from the yellow to the green, is how you train the muscle that is resilience, which we'll talk about quite a bit more. So yellow zone stress is everyday stressors for the most part. And while those stressors can be variable based on the person, It's expected for that to happen, but if you never respond to yellow zone stressors, you can then start moving into the orange. So this is more where we are injured or impacted, functionally decreased by stress. We can go there over time, which would be more like burnout. We can also go there instantaneously for significant stressors in our life. Again, loss of a loved one, perceived life threat, or inner conflict. And then there's red, and that's illness. That would be medical intervention is needed to help someone respond to whatever mental health issue they're experiencing. So psychology, psychiatry, suicidal ideation. We need professional intervention support. Stress management is much more of an early intervention in between how do we get you back to the green before you're in the red. We are not just good to go or ill. There's a lot of functioning in between. So earlier this year, my son, who is in elementary school, brought home a how are you feeling chart from school. And it sounds a bit like the stress continuum where they're trying to teach children to relate their emotions to a color and be able to discuss how they're feeling. First of all, I love that in in your son's school, good on them. What a life skill to talk about responding to stress, emotional intelligence, because we're talking about emotional intelligence right now. Resilience is not ignoring our emotions and pressing forward. That's what leads to burnout. Resilience is emotional intelligence, being aware that you have these emotions, functioning with them and eventually recovering from them. And teaching that at a young age, what an important time to understand those skills and then develop from them. And again, love the stress continuum because if you flip it vertically, it looks like a traffic light. And people understand green means go, red means stop. Yellow on a traffic light, what does yellow mean to you? Slow down or take caution. So you're not from Ohio then. I'm an Ohio driver. For me, it means speed up and go right through that light so I don't need to stop. (laughs) Everyone's different in how they respond to stress. So yellow for me often means dial in, let's act, let's execute. And that's okay because slowing down or speeding up in the yellow, it's whatever strategy you're using to get back to the green. So my analogy is more action at the individual level in the yellow and then 
orange or dark yellow, if you will, definitely slow down because we're getting close to red. So now let's utilize our resources, our support systems, other things maybe outside of ourselves. Let's ask for help. So that's how I look at it there. But I love the traffic light example because it thinks about where am I before I need to all stop and get help. All right, so let's talk about some of those strategies. How can we effectively manage stress and improve our well-being? Absolutely. There are countless strategies. And what's important to note before we talk about them is there is no one size fits all. There is no this is what you should do. It's be aware that there are many. Just like you're unique in your stress symptoms, be unique in your response to them. I love this quote by Bruce Lee where it's absorb what's useful, discard what's not, and then make what is uniquely your own. So you can take this, modify it to you, to whatever is most effective to get you back to the green. Regardless of what's going on, I know I have a physiological response to that stress. Automatically, my heart rate is increasing. Maybe my breath rate is decreasing or increasing. My blood is flowing elsewhere. My body is changing in response to stress. I can consciously take over my autonomic system by doing intentional breathing. So this is something that we can all do. Right now, you could be doing that as you listen to me by just intentionally breathing in for four seconds holding for four seconds, breathing out for four seconds, and holding for four seconds. That's called box breathing. A lot of cool research behind that. Nasal breathing, just deep inhales, and then deep exhales, either through your nose or mouth, but deep inhales through your nose. A lot of cool research behind that. The most important word in this is intentional breathing. So with intention, we are changing what happens automatically and therefore reducing our stress response. One of my favorites. And as you're saying all this, I'm sitting over here breathing. But what I'm finding is it does it makes you more intentional, right? It makes you slow down a little bit. So I do like that. <laughs> Most things that we do in life, if done with intention, we can lead to improvement. We all can get into the habits of a routine that we have or an automatic response that we have to a situation and just thinks that that is what it is. But another thing I like to talk about in my article was neuroplasticity, our ability of our system to adapt in response to what is happening around us. Our brain and our bodies are amazing, and adaptations happen based on imposed demands. Whatever happens to us, our body and brains are going to try to adjust so we can function optimally. But they'll also adjust less than optimally in response to poor demands that we give it, whether that's food, drugs, a lot of alcohol, lack of energy, or lack of exercise. Our bodies will try and adapt to still function optimally, but sometimes that leads to some of the unintended consequences when we pursue comfort or things that are not beneficial for us. I'm getting towards other concepts that we'll talk about down the line, but the effect of neuroplasticity shows the ability for when we use strategies with intention, we can change how we respond to stress, even subconsciously. The goal in today's discussion is hopefully getting at least most people who are not aware of stress management strategies or maybe their poor performance with it to the level of conscious incompetence. Okay, this is an area in my life where I am now aware that there is an opportunity for improvement. And then strategies can give us over time conscious competence. Okay, now I'm consciously using intentional breathing to decrease my stress response. So I want to go back. You mentioned imposed demands. For me, at least that's a big area of stress because all these things kind of come at you and people need things from you. And one of those areas is work. What are some tips on managing work-related stress? So there's a lot of strategies there with work-related stress. 
Coming back to differentiating stress from stressor, really understanding what are those demands, what are those stressors, and then what are your reactions or your thoughts about those stressors. That's so important because a lot of our words and our actions and our attitudes at work stem from our thoughts about those stressors. So if I think I have a boss who is mean, or if I have a boss who is irrational, unrealistic, or just not great, I'm going to have that framework in all of our interactions. I'm going to have a negative thinking pattern associated with work, at least in relation to my boss or my colleague or you name it. So when stressors are another person, there are a lot of strategies there. And we'll talk about those definitely in more detail. We'll come back to the idea of controllables versus uncontrollables. If I were to ask you, what do you think generally you have more control over, your stressors or your stress? I would actually say how I react to those stressors, because right now for me, it's it's all about what can I control? I can't control the things around me, but I can control how I respond to them. Beautiful. Absolutely. So more often than not, we cannot control the stressors in our life. There are things that we can definitely do, which first and foremost, when it comes to work or your life, we can always control our communication. We can control how we interact with those stressors, but that comes back to how we control our stress so we can communicate effectively. We can always communicate with other individuals at work. So we make sure that they understand where we're coming from and why. We get on the same page. We make compromises if need be, all in the effort of executing for the mission. Because having respect for the people you work with is imperative. Not everyone needs to be friends. Not everyone needs to agree. But if you can come at things unemotionally without a negative thinking pattern and stress mindset and have a rational communication behavior without emotion, you're going to be much more effective in getting across what you're trying to with a given job. So communication and interrupting your own negative thinking patterns are two ways to help at work quite a bit. I love the strategy of most charitable interpretation. There are a hundred reasons why someone may be acting a certain way on a given day, why an order may be given outside of our knowledge for reasons that we would agree with, but our, our level does not seem to make sense. But if you can take a step back, recognize your stress, and it relates to confusion, anger towards a person, or all of these other base emotions that cause you to feel stress, okay, I'm feeling stressed. I understand that my stress is due to fear, anger, confusion. Let's take a step back now that I know that that a control would be what is the most charitable interpretation that this situation is happening, this person's reacting the way that they are. And if I can give them that consideration, regardless of the truth, I'm decreasing my stress response. I'm using what I like to call extreme empathy. And that just takes you out of your own way so you can see the situation for what it could be. And then again, focus on your reaction for how you communicate with that frame of mind rather than this person's mean. They don't get it. This mission's ridiculous. There's many reasons outside of our knowledge that something could be happening. So acknowledging it allows us to then effectively rationalize and uh, function the way we would want to. And speaking about function, how can stress impact your cognitive function? What are some benefits of stress management for like your mental clarity? So going back to our brains and how we evolved, our limbic system will override and to this day still override our prefrontal cortex when it is responding to stress. We are designed for that. We are evolved over millions of years from that. And such cool science behind how that happens, why it happens, and until you can have the parasympathetic nervous system respond, which helps us recover from the sympathetic system doing what it needs to do, which helped us survive all those years ago, we cannot think as rationally as we would. 
So intentional breathing, recognizing that you're responding, and sometimes just the passage of time. If you are angry, one of the best things that you can do for that anger is allow yourself a good night's sleep. That's easier said than done. But if you're not taking care of your base needs of sleep, diet, exercise, a lot of things become perceptually a lot more significant. And sleep and recovery are imperative. So if you're continuing to respond to stress, if cortisol is continuing to stream through your body and your parasympathetic nervous system is not helping you recover, our brains are not wired to optimally rationalize and think as well as we could. So focusing on that recovery is imperative to optimal function at work or in life. So let's talk about the ripple effect of stress management and how it can help your overall life satisfaction and happiness. Absolutely. So stress management can apply to work, but it can apply to your relationships outside of work. It can apply to your marriage or parenting style and relationship with your children. It can also apply to how you go about self-care. I love self-care and the concept of how people pursue it because there are many different ways that we can take care of ourselves. And to simply break it down, I like to think that there's two different categories of self-care, pleasure-based activities, and then more delayed gratification, or sometimes I call it fulfilling activities. There's overlap between the two without question. You can have fulfillment and pleasure-based activities, and you can also have delayed gratification with pleasure. But if you are coping with your stress or trying to recover by always relaxing on the couch and watching Netflix or using social media or pursuing pleasure, the other word that I love outside of intention is balance. You're gonna be unbalanced in your ability to improve, in your ability to effectively respond and recover from stress optimally. So delaying gratification, challenging yourself, practicing the muscle that is resilience, and intentionally causing yourself stress with prepared strategies ahead of time is what you can do to cause the neuroplasticity so when unintended or unexpected stressors come into your life, inevitably every day, let alone the really significant ones down the line, you're more prepared to respond effectively. So I argue that self-care is often intentional stress in a given way, and that does not need to be physically induced stress like exercise. Don't get me wrong, love exercise. But there are mental stressors. There are social stressors. There are spiritual stressors. There's everything in between intentionally inducing stress in a safe, controlled way allows you to use strategies that you like, that work for you, having them prepared ahead of time so you can cause yourself to go into the yellow and then recover from that and go back to the green. So resilience is a muscle. Doing that gives you more confidence in yourself to use those strategies when it inevitably happens in the future. So I think self-care in a lot of ways can be intentional stress, but by all means, also counterbalanced effectively with pleasure activities, slowing down, relaxing, and effectively coping with the uncontrollables in our life. Because there are many things that other than the passage of time and optimism, we can't change. Life is too complex. The world is too complex. People are too complex for us to be able to have control over much outside of ourselves. So the controllable with intentional stress and strategies I love, but then the coping and how we cope equally important when it comes to the uncontrollables in life. And then we start talking about positive and negative coping strategies. 
So I'll ask you, is exercise a positive or a negative coping strategy? It's a positive coping strategy for me because I love running. I love biking. I love, I love being active. It's kind of my time for mental clarity. But on the other hand, when I miss or don't get my opportunity to exercise, it can almost be a negative stress. It's almost like that I miss that self-care. Beautiful answer. And I asked these questions intentionally as a trick question. You gave the right answer. It depends. So in this way, if we're always responding to stress with exercise, and then we're not addressing other opportunities and optimally recovering from that stress, or if we feel guilty about when we don't do that, we're causing ourselves unintended consequences of what is culturally accepted as a positive coping strategy. But if I'm always going out on a marathon run after an argument with my spouse and not addressing the opportunities of reframing most charitable interpretation and communication, I would argue that becomes a negative coping strategy because moderation and balance and use of that is key. Is drinking alcohol a negative coping strategy or a positive coping strategy? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I do like a good glass of wine, um, and I want to say it helps me relax, but it also gets me behind in other areas because I have a tendency to not be very productive after those couple glasses of wine. Um, so yeah, again, both. Exactly. So you're picking up on the theme here. It, it depends. And intention and balance behind that coping strategy is imperative. That being said, once it's legal, if you have a glass of wine to unwind, particularly if you're unwinding with loved ones, sharing experiences, and helping yourself with a little bit of pleasure activity, social engagement, I would argue that is a positive coping strategy. If you're not getting behind on other things, then it's not having other unintended consequences. But it comes back to intention, moderation, and balance. So most things can be either a positive coping strategy or a negative coping strategy. Perfect. And we're going to have the opportunity to have you back on a future episode of the Airwaves podcast to talk about that intentional stress and more about resiliency. But before we wrap today, I just want to talk, what are some common misconceptions of stress? Well, we definitely hit on the fact that stress is bad. We want to avoid it. Anything that we can do to avoid stress and seek comfort is in our best interests, and that is a misconception. Stress is not bad. It's really our thoughts and reactions to that stress that can be positive or negative. So when we are aware of our unique aspects of responding to stress, both with symptoms and what we currently do to respond, that's the first step. Then looking at what is our stress versus our stressor, differentiating that in the way that we've talked about. Within each, there are controllables and uncontrollables, but as we mentioned, generally speaking, Stressors are uncontrollable. Our stress is often controllable because we look at what are our judgments or our thoughts leading to that stress, and then what kind of strategies that can we use to either reframe or recover from it. And then after that, it's how do we practice getting better? Having these strategies preload into your brain, fantastic. So when something happens in your life, you remember it and you respond effectively, good to go. I would argue it's hard to think rationally and use strategies that you've read about a time or two after you're already emotionally responding to stress. So unexpected stress happens in your life, that's probably not the time to start thinking about using strategies that you already haven't practiced a few times. So leading into our next conversation, using these strategies either before you go into a known situation that causes you stress, my favorite being behind the wheel. I talked about being an Ohio driver. I used to be very impatient behind the wheel until I had children. But even then, the assumptions that I make or the expectations that I have or had of others behind the wheel, if someone cut me off or someone was going too slow, 
the anger I would feel or the frustration because I was running late for work, which is my own fault. The road rage I would experience was such an opportunity and then coincidentally get into the cost program at Camp Lejeune on my 45 minute drive to and from work. I started using these strategies. I went to a known environment where I could practice intentional breathing or most charitable interpretation. Particularly when I became a father, that could be a father who just got that call that you need to come home quick, there's a medical emergency. That could be somebody else who has something else going on right now, like a kid in their car and that's why they're driving so slow. There's always an opportunity for most charitable interpretation and then that allows me to be so much more at peace behind the wheel in a known environment that caused me stress. Taking it one step further though, leading into our next conversation, intentional stress, where I am intentionally at home cultivating an environment that I know is stressing me, particularly in an area that I want to improve in. Knowing your strengths, knowing also your areas of improvement that you'd like to work on are both great opportunities for causing yourself stress with a physical, mental, spiritual, and or social stressor. And there's all kinds of overlap that we can talk about quite a bit more next time. Absolutely. And I really look forward to that conversation. Thank you for being here today, talking about stress, effective stress management, and how we can all use these actionable tips to live longer, healthier, and happier lives. If you want to check out more mental health and wellness episodes on the Airwaves podcast, you can by subscribing on all your favorite listening apps. And that's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.